You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince and the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the dugout brand follow the link on their etsy shop and use your promo code foundation for 15 percent off your entire order the dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain it's free there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple podcasts and many more you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only so head over to their website at 10th ward barbershop.com and book your appointment now with kane jordan and the rest of the team at 10th ward barbershop that's 10thward barbershop.com and we thank them for supporting the podcast good morning friends welcome to foundation radio my name is adam bernard and today i thought i would just start the show by speaking from the heart about a few things. And I've never done this before, and I'm just totally riffing here. I don't have anything prepared. And I don't like to have things prepared because I feel like when I have prepared things, it makes me sound like a smarter person. It makes me sound like a well-polished individual. And I think sometimes that might be true, but not all the time. I have been feeling like this recently, and I feel really tapped out anymore these days from everything that's been happening recently, specifically in regards to this Kenise Mobley situation, which is what I talk about today with Sir Wilkins on the show. But I thought it was important to kind of talk about why it matters, because I don't know if anybody really has. I mean, I'm sure they have. I just haven't heard it. And it also kind of ties in with China a little bit, which I've been thinking about that in some respects today as well. There's been an internet clip floating around of the Bella Twins making a transphobic or homophobic comment with uh, Joan Rivers. I think it was 2006 or 2007 and it came back around. And it's even trashy to think about somebody saying that on TV even then, just because it's gross and I find that kind of humor really just dreadful. But I also think about the documentary that just came out about China and, and how awful things were for her and how really no one was looking out for her. There's been a lot of stuff in the news recently about 
Britney Spears being in the conservatorship and not having a way out and all of the bad things that happened to her and how the media portrayed her and the things that have happened. And I feel like China was a person that that happened to as well on such a smaller scale. You know, it was still impactful in her life the way it has been for for Britney Spears, but I don't know if as 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 large scale, sort of a smaller scale in the professional wrestling world. I mean, China was a was an innovator. She was a, a mountain destroyer. You know, the first female ever to win the Intercontinental Championship. You know, she made intergender wrestling a thing. I mean, it was it. No one even thought a second thought. You're like, okay, China's in the match. Cool. She was incredible, and then she became you know persona non grata. In WWE for many, many years, had some really terrible personal issues, ultimately died from them. But we see this story played out a lot. You know, we see this story played out. You can go back to Anna Nicole Smith and maybe even in some respects, Marilyn Monroe all the way back in the day. You know, these these women who are just destroyed by the media and by people around them and by the the well-wishers and the people who are supposed to be protecting them. And it doesn't seem like anybody's looking out for them. And it just, you know, you know, reading the Bella Twins apology, it just it just seemed even at the time, it just seemed like such a low blow and just such a way to put somebody down. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about this Kenise Mobley situation. I mean, yeah, you know, Sir Wilkins and I, we talk about this on the show and you'll hear our conversation about it. But yeah, she was wrong for saying what she did and she totally went about it the wrong way. But I don't think she deserved to be fired. We've all fucked up. We've all made mistakes. We've all said things to people that we shouldn't have or said things in situations that we shouldn't have and and have suffered the consequences. And unfortunately for this poor woman, this is a very public consequence to a situation that could have been avoided. And I don't think anybody out there is saying, no, you know, she didn't fuck up and she didn't make a mistake. Like, yeah, everybody, I think, agrees on that point. But I think the response to that entire situation was totally overblown it was totally unnecessary and the fact that this woman has been receiving death threats and harassing messages inside of her social media and her dms and on her website it's like guys get a fucking grip get a grip what is so important in your life about professional wrestling that is making you take time out of your day to send people shitty messages and telling them that you're going to kill them or hurt them or their family because she didn't know what Bobby Lashley's name was? Come on, guys. Like, get your shit together. Get your shit together. We are all a part of something really cool. We are all fans of something really cool and really special. Professional wrestling has been one of those things in my life that allowed me to feel like I could connect with other people at any given time. I can walk down the street and strike up a conversation with somebody while I'm just at the store wearing a t-shirt. Someone throws up the Wolfpack sign or somebody notices that I'm wearing a Shane McMahon shirt or whatever it is. And I've made a connection with that human being because that's what this is about right floating on this gigantic rock we're just looking to find connections with other people and now we're going to gatekeep people out of this world because she didn't know who Bobby Lashley was 
I can think of a thousand other things that would disqualify a hundred thousand other people more than it's not even, she didn't even say she like, like it's just, it is so frustrating to see people trip over themselves and push each other out of the way to signal online how big their dicks are or how big their muscles are by, by picking on a woman, a woman of color, nonetheless, who lost her job publicly. I mean, you kind of saw the same thing with Chelsea Green a couple months ago. You know, she made a mistake. Yeah, sure. She should have credited that artist. She shared a piece of art that was created about her after she was released from WWE. And she didn't credit the artist. And there was a huge backlash to her. Huge. And it made no sense whatsoever. She corrected the issue. Everybody should move on. But instead, she got death threats. Everybody calling her a whore and saying all these really terrible things about her. And for what? Like, what are you accomplishing, guys? What is your goal here? You're going to dox this poor girl and you're going to just like, I don't understand the thought process behind this kind of behavior. And quite frankly, it makes me really frustrated to be a, a wrestling fan because you make the rest of us look bad. You make the rest of us look like fucking cretins, basement dwelling idiots with neck beards sitting around twiddling our fucking dicks. Like, enough is enough, guys. Enough is enough. Leave it the fuck alone. Leave this lady the fuck alone. Why is this such a trend for people? Like, I don't understand. Like, why is it such a trend for people to just kick others while they're down? And to just humiliate people on social media? And I can't say that I, I haven't made mistakes and I haven't dogpiled on people before on my own personal Facebook. That would be a lie. That would be disingenuous. And I'm not going to lie to you. That I've done that. And it was terrible then. And it's terrible now. I can't even say it's circumstantial. You know, maybe they had some different political views than I did. Maybe they made some comment to me. And instead of just letting it go because this person had absolutely no effect on my life whatsoever outside of reading whatever stupid thing they said, I dogpiled. And that was really stupid. You know, I have a three-year-old daughter, Sophie. And I often look at her and I think, what, you know, what's she going to do with her life? Obviously, it's too early to tell right now. She's three. She wants to be an astronaut. She wants to be a nurse. She comes up with something every day. But she also wants to be a professional wrestler because she watches Bianca Belair on television. And that's her favorite right now. And we want to promote that in every single way. But there's a part of me that's afraid for her to be a part of this world, this universe with people constantly saying awful, awful shit to women in wrestling. I just, I like, it just, it, it makes me genuinely afraid to know what could be coming for her if that's the route she wanted to go. Again, I'm just sitting here, I'm drinking my coffee in my purple foundation radio mug. 
I just felt like I had to say something. You know, you ever feel like you just have to say something about this? Say something about something, anything. Because it's not right. And you know it's not right. You can't be sitting there and act like you're doing something right. Don't you have any kind of moral compass? Do you have any decency in your head while you're writing that shit out? And I think maybe that's the problem with social media in general. It just make, gives us this false sense of ambiguity, this false sense of an, anonymity, really. That we can just say and do whatever we want because we're cloaked behind an egg photo on, on Twitter or we have burner accounts on Instagram. You know, I'm starting to get a, a little bit of a following on my show here and I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit more vocal on Twitter and the, the trolls are coming out. And I've interfaced with them from time to time. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to block them. I like listen or don't. I don't care. But don't show up with your negativity. Have an opinion. Try to sway me on it. But these guys that are just all over these poor fucking women, it's just it, it's it's disgraceful. Stop. It doesn't make like no, it doesn't make you look cool. It doesn't make you look any like it just makes you look like a fucking idiot. That's what I'm getting at. You want the Philly from me? You're going to get the Philly from me. You look like a fucking clown. You're a carnival barking clown with that shit. Stop it. Leave this woman alone. You've already gotten her fired from her job. I don't care what anybody says. That probably had a lot to do with it. Leave her alone. I want to know what everybody else thinks. What do you all think about this situation? I want you to tweet at me at this is Goober. Find me and follow me. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I just need to stop rambling and get to the interview. You know, shut up and dribble, right? I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't write anything down. I didn't have anything in mind on this. I just... A lot of shit's been bothering me with that. And a lot of things have been floating around my head with that. And I hope that all connected. Because I don't know if it did. Imagine just being somebody like that for 10 minutes and imagine just being someone who is just publicly scrutinized like that. Publicly destroyed and drugged through the mud for what reason? And then what? What do you go to your next thing? Fucking scratching your balls with your Cheeto hands? Like what's next on your plate? What did you accomplish today besides being a fucking douchebag? It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I'll never understand it. Internet tough guys. Everywhere. If you want like, you know, you want to give somebody legitimate criticism, that's fine. But like, Calling Chelsea Green a whore or a slut on inst- like on Twitter, like like what does that solve for you? What does that do for you? Nothing. It does nothing for you. It accomplishes nothing except make that person feel like shit. I think at the end of the day, for me anyway, it boils down to the idea of where your where your moral compass is. You know, where are your priorities? What is what is something that you would say to somebody in person? Would you tell Chelsea Green she's a slut to her face? Would you tell Kenny Smobley she's an idiot and deserves to die because she didn't know Bobby Lashley's name? 
Would you say that to someone in, per- in public? And if you would say that, if, you, if you're listening to this and you answer that question with a yes answer, you need to go get help. You need mental professional help. Because no one should be talking to anyone like that at any time for any reason. You should like just think about how you would talk to your cousin or your sister or your aunt or your mom. Do you want somebody saying that to your mom? And again, this isn't white knighting. This isn't this savior shit. I have no interest in that. This is simply an observation. These are observations that I've made over the course of a long life. You know, I'll be 36 in August, so I'm not technically that old, but you get the idea. I've seen a lot of shit. I lived through 9-11. I've seen a lot. I've been around for a lot. And this is just, it's too much. It's too much. It makes people not want to be involved in this. It makes, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to watch people trip over their feet and trip over their own dicks with this stuff. They make bigger problems than they need to be. What do you think the, 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 the actual punishment for this woman would have been had there hadn't been this Twitter sphere of explosive diarrhea about Bobby Lashley, her comments on Bobby Lashley? I just think it's ridiculous. I think it is. I think it's ridiculous. And I, and I, I am curious. I'm generally curious what you all think about it as well. And I know I wanted to talk to Sir Wilkins about this, which is why he's on the program today. Sir Wilkins is the co-host of the Jobber Tears podcast. And we don't just talk about, you know, Kenny's Mobley. We talk about a lot of different things. We talk about recent wrestling and we talk about hip hop, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope you enjoy your week. But I also th- want you to take just a few minutes and just recalibrate yourself. And I want you to just think before you post something, please just stop and take two minutes and ask yourself if you would say that in public to anybody. If you would say that in public to the targeted person that you're tweeting it at or that you're writing on Instagram about, would you say this in public? And if the answer is no, delete it and start over. Thanks for joining me, friends. As always, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you stopping by and, uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Enjoy this conversation with Sir Wilkins from the Jobber Tears podcast. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard, and I am so glad you are with me again on this Tuesday morning. Uh, I am here with Sir Wilkins from the Jobber Tears podcast. How are you, my friend? Hello, hello, Adam. What's <laughs> up? What's up? What's up? I am well. I am well. It's hot, hot. Yes, yes. You're Saturday, up in New, you're up in New York, right? New York. Whereabouts in New York? I'm I, I am in Manhattan right now, so New York City basically. Wow! So just the sweltering heat of everything, right? Yeah, it's just, like just 93 brutal. degrees today, supposedly. Like, but it's been weird because it's like super cool in the morning, so you like yeah. tricked into thinking that hey, let me throw a jacket on and I'm gonna go outside. Oh no, it is sweltering heat by 12 p.m. 1 p.m. 
It sounds just like Philadelphia when I was back home. It's uh, Pittsburgh's not nearly as hot, but like mm-hmm. it's weird. I don't know if you've ever been out here, but like when you follow like once you get through the mountains and you go yeah. through the tunnels and all that shit, like it's just a totally different weather pattern. So I'm not quite used to it yet out here, but it's fucking ungodly hot here today. But you know what's funny? Um, growing up, I didn't know Pittsburgh was like right in the Northeast. Yeah, I thought it was like middle America, like. Idaho or something like that. And I was like, yo, where's Pittsburgh? And then as I got older, I got into history. And, you know, with history, is geography is right next to it. So then I was like, right. oh, Pittsburgh is like right there. Like, it's, 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 it's very close to New York, actually. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's actually not too bad. My brother-in-law lives in, uh, where the fuck does he live? He lives somewhere up in like uh, northern New Jersey, Chester Township, I think, which is yeah. only 40 minutes from Manhattan. So yeah. surprisingly enough, it's really not that far if you, you yeah, take not the at all. and stuff. But uh, how are things in New York right now as far as like COVID? I know you guys, is Cuomo getting ready to lift? Have I guess, let me rephrase, have they lifted the restrictions and how how have things so, been recently? Honestly, spe- Honestly speaking, when COVID was going on, like, heavy, heavy, the city was a ghost town. I believe it. But, you I know, little it. things were going on here and there. Like, outdoor outdoor dining was huge and over here. And it, that was about it. That was the only thing you can do. But when, like, the vaccine, the, the vaccine rates went up to, like, 70%, he basically was like, yo, here, fuck it. Everybody have a good time. <laughs> so, for the most part, restrictions are gone. Like, the other day, I was in... um. I had went to go buy sweatpants at like old, uh, like um, Banana Republic, and I walked in. I didn't have my mask on, and I was like, "Yo, do I need a mask?" They're like, "No, you don't. You're fine." And like masks have become a choice, morals for the most part, except for public transportation. You have to wear a mask when we like take the train or like the bus or something. They want you to have a mask on, but for the most part, everything's was pretty pretty much lifted. We do um, pay per view viewing parties at a bar in called Legends, and we saw the process like happen. Like first you, you couldn't be at, sit at the bar. Then now you can sit at the bar. The tables were separated by like, you know, different things. And now tables are back together. So it's pretty much normality, but you'll see people with masks on. What about in Pittsburgh? Honestly, it's about the same. Um, once the vaccine rate started to get a little bit higher, I think we're one of the few states in the country that's like close to or at 70 percent right now as far as vaccination rates. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I could get the fucking shot, I was like, give me the 5G. Give me right directly in my veins. I don't give a fuck. Give it to me now. I want my life back for fuck's sake, you know. But really, yeah. like once they once they lifted everything, man. But that's the thing about Pittsburgh, too. Like I, I, Philadelphia, right? Like we are everything people say we are, right? Uh, So you would go out into Philly. I was actually working in the city when COVID hit. And once the mask mandate happened, like it was unusual to see other people without masks on this in the city, right? And if you didn't have a mask on, somebody was going to tell you about it. So you were going to hear something from someone, right? Oh, 100%. Pittsburgh is the opposite. We moved out here in like October. So we were still kind of coming off like the back end of it um, in some regards. And nobody not a single person anywhere was wearing masks. And it was very bizarre to me. Like, I mean, not everybody. I don't want to generalize, but like most people mm-hmm. that we encountered weren't wearing masks. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what what planet did I walk out of here? And, and I have to remember, like, 
Pittsburgh and Philadelphia is sort of filled in by Pennsylvania. So there's a lot of people who are, you know, science deniers and anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and Trump voters. And it's like it's this very bizarre mm-hmm. dynamic because the close it's a lot like Philadelphia is the closer you get to the city, the more you find that people are like, what the fuck are you not wearing a mask for? You know, so yeah. it's this very bizarre dynamic. But again, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to go back to the gym again. You know, I was on a great workout plan for a while and then the gym's closed and I fell off and I'm happy to be back there doing it, you know, and now, as we know, as big wrestling fans as well, live crowds are coming back. Uh, what was your what was your reaction to the live crowd at WrestleMania 37 this year? And then are you a fan of the two night setup that they started uh, using again this year? So um, I have mixed feelings about everything, so I'll, I guess I'll go into it. So the live fans, I love it. I, I love it. You have to wrestling is about the audience. The audience, you know, if you're over by the audience, you know, if you're not over by the audience, it's that it's a beautiful thing. The, the funny thing is. Thunderdome people, the people who excelled, excelled during the Thunderdome, i.e. Randy Orton, i.e. Bailey. But I'm excited to have fans back. A couple of my friends were at Mania and they were like super excited about it. The two nights event is easier to digest. It's two nights. What it, I think it was like each of them were like four or five hours. You go home. So personally, I, I wouldn't mind it if I'm at home. I get two nights to like thing. But the thing about it, it takes away because if the second night or the first night card is not amazing, people are less interested. So I do the viewing parties in New York City, WWE viewing parties at this bar called Legends. So we did both nights. And the first night, super fucking packed because of the Bianca um, Bianca Belair and Sasha was main eventing. So that was historic type of thing. And the matches just seemed to flow a lot better. Second night, people, people were falling asleep the, 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 when, I was, when I was with them. So I think it should be one night, in my opinion, because WrestleMania is about that day. That WrestleMania moment is that day. It's, the, it's how the Super Bowl is. Super Bowl is not multiple games. It's that one game. You get your thing and you get out. And that's what I think it should be one night. Maybe not as many matches because the year before when it was not the, not, not, not the Thunderdome year, the year before was in, when it was in Jersey, it was one night. And I remember it was like clocking into a full-time job. <laughs> it like, absolutely okay, was. Yeah. Cool. It was, I think we left the bar. No lie. 1230 at 1230 midnight. We came there like four, like four, like 4 p.m. So wow. that, yeah, so that's, so you, so you see what I mean? Old time job type of feel. Yeah. I, uh, I have to agree with you there on that, on the idea of shrinking it. And I think maybe that's part of the problem recently with WWE creative. And we're going to get into like the big story. Cause I'm, I'm fascinated to get your take on this, which is actually one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show. But um, besides, you know, sting, <laughs> we'll get to don't you worry <laughs> sir wilkins we'll get there uh but now i i feel like that's a lot of time especially since wcw kind of folded and we haven't really had too much uh, competition yeah i feel like there is an overemphasis on getting everybody airtime 
when there is not, it's like basically taking, you know, 10 pounds of shit and putting it in a five pound bag, right? You're just trying to stuff yeah. so much in and you're losing the emphasis on the storyline and the structure and the, the feasibility of, of pushing all these things together. So I agree. I, I am not a fan overall of the two night matches or the two night event. I thought that obviously Bianca Belair was the main event of the entire weekend. Um, yeah. But I did like the fact that Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley went on first. I did um, enjoy that. I did. I liked that. I felt that that was the right move, especially in light of everything that, that Drew McIntyre went through last year. And I, I feel like Drew McIntyre doesn't get a ton of credit recently for his. I Look, I mean, look, I, they're pushing this Bobby Lashley thing a little too hard. I, I don't like the regurgitation every week. I'm glad they're kind of moving on to it. I have yeah. my theories as far as what's in my head for what's next for him. But I, I, I got a little tired of the idea. I, I want Bobby, and I've talked to a friend of the show, uh, Duke Bennett, about this uh, uh, a couple weeks ago when he was on. We talked about The Miz sort of being the MVP transitional person between those two uh, champions. But I, I am excited to see the fans come back, and I'm excited that they're moving away from things like the Lily storyline, right? Things that aren't going to fly in front of a live crowd. Um, how what how much of a dynamic shift do you think is coming when they do get back in front of the live crowd, i.e. some of the things, like you said, you mentioned, you know you're over in front of the crowd. The mm-hmm. crowd is going to dictate what they want to see and what they don't want to see. How much of this do you think is going to shift because they get back into the live crowd? Obviously, things like Lily aren't going to really fly too much, but what do you think is going to what do you think is going to change? I think I think for the most part, I we're going to get better stuff. A lot of people won't admit it, but I think Vince is saving a lot of the the really good things for a live audience because the way the rumors that are going around right now is we are getting like a, a WrestleMania-esque SummerSlam. That's going to be in, a, in front of a live packed arena in Vegas. It's also the same night as the the, the, the Pacquiao fight. Uh, so it's just so much going on. So the audience is so important. I, and I go back to this story. I always bring up this story. This was Monday Night Raw, if I'm correct, after SummerSlam. This is when SummerSlam did like a three years in, in um, Barclays in Brooklyn. I forget which year this was. And Charlotte and and Becky had fought the night before. Becky, I think from, from what I remember, lost. Cool. Becky comes out. She's trying to cut a heel promo. The crowd is going crazy. Crowd is cheering for her. We love you. We love you. We love you. Like cheering, giving her baby face type of energy. But she's trying to cut a heel promo. Also, New York fans are, are the worst. So we already know about that. That is Philly fan. Well, I was going to say, you can't, it, like, Philly fans, I think, are just a little bit worse. We were the ones that threw batteries at Santa Claus, and look, that was warranted, okay? If you read the yeah. stories about this fucking prick, you know why we did it. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Go ahead. No, 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 you're 100% right. So, that is happening, and then the double turn basically ends up happening later, where Becky becomes a face, which leads to her, her, her whole, the man move, move. But, once again, it went back to the crowd. The crowd was, was in it. And we also can talk about do you remember? This is a while ago. I forgot what exactly was going on. Somebody got injured. I think it was Charlotte, maybe. And she had to give up the, the belt. Oh, something of that nature. I apologize. I don't remember 100%. But Vince was in the ring and he was like, Is it going to be Naomi? 
is it going to be this person? And then he got to Oscar. Then the crowd went erupted. And I heard from what I was reading, Vince was in shock. He was like, I did not know she was just over. So once again, the crowd is, the crowd is going to change a lot of things up, change some storylines up. It's going to be a whole different ballgame. Because that, that, right now, they're a pure sitcom. They're writing their stories. They're writing who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. And we have no effect on it. We're just watching at this point. So that's why, that's why I think the crowd is going to have a huge effect coming the next six months into Survivor Series and into um, SummerSlam as well. Now, it's funny you just mentioned that they're writing a sitcom because that that does sort of tie into more recent events that have taken place. Uh, not so much of the shocking cuts of uh, Braun Strowman and, and Aleister Black, which, uh, you know, I guess in some respects, I, I understand some of those things. But uh, let's uh, we could talk about Kenise Mobley, who was the writer who was on a podcast recently, uh, who uh, expressed that she did not know Bobby Lashley's name uh, on the show, which, again may not have been the smartest move in the world. We'll grant it there. However, um, what friend of the show, Eric Bischoff, refers to as the cosplay journalists, the uh, peripheral media in wrestling, threw a bitch fit so hard that the woman lost her job. And I watched your video uh, this morning uh, when you were speaking about Vince McMahon at one point in his uh, career in the arc wanting to go up head-to-head against friends. And I think the idea being that you don't necessarily need to have the the full reference, you know? You don't need to know how many times Razor Ramon beat uh, Randy Savage on the house show loop in 1993 in Philadelphia. You just need to have a working knowledge of television. And the way, and I think that maybe might be part of the issue is that people aren't looking at Vince McMahon as a wrestling, or they're, they're not looking at him at, as what he is. Right. He is the person who wants to create an, a scripted television. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about how you feel with Kenise Mobley. And do you think and, and, and me in a personal opinion as well, I don't believe that her the kickback to this would have been as severe or as swift uh, if her skin color was a little bit different. Um, I think they threw her to the wolves on this one. And I'm, I'm curious to know your take on that. So. We had talked about it on the podcast, so this was the last episode, and it was funny because it moved so fast. We, we, it, it broke the day we, we recorded, which was on Thursday. Friday, she was she was she was not not to laugh, but she was released. Right, and I was she was like, out the door so fast. Yeah, it was like, yo, what is going on? Because the news broke that morning. Friday, she's released. So, first things first, I said on the podcast. Should she have said that? Absolutely not. And I think she wasn't aware of the reach and who she was. Because somebody, you you might say something on your podcast. I might say something on my podcast. My co-host might say something. And you're kind of like, oh, you said it, but you don't think nobody's really listening. Then it catches fire. Somebody catches it. Somebody does it. We did an episode about Alicia Fox once. And we mentioned about her career. And we gave her props. But we also said, you know what? Eh, is she hauled up? And we were kind of going back about it. We got tore 
up online. Tore, like, we got our ass handed to us. But to go back to, to um, Miss Mobley, she didn't deserve that. She made a mistake. She said the comment. It wasn't the right comment to say. And you know what? I, I will say she needs to be held accountable for that. But at the same time, there's so many people in that writing room that's in the same boat as she is. And from what I'm hearing is that she, it was before she like started, started. So she didn't really know anything. And then everybody forgets this part. She did say, you know what? I'm going to start researching more and get and understand the product a whole lot more. Of That's what you're supposed to do. And she was about to start doing that. Now, I have a, um, a couple of people that I know that work for the, for the E. And one of the people, they, they texted me this morning. It was like, hey, the dirt sheets and wrestling fans had a huge say in her getting fired. I was like, what do you mean? It was like, yo, they were they were coming, they were coming at her. Once again, she shouldn't have said what she said because WWE wasn't happy about that. But all that backlash, because it was a, a solid 24 hours they were getting at her. Now, we continue on, and my and the person that I know said they were getting death threats before this this came out. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, they were getting death threats. They were getting harassed on, in their DMs. Because I, rem- I remember when I had posted about it, I was like, yo, four black women just got hired. I had posted one. I went to her page. Her page was public for two seconds, then private. And I was like, yo, that's weird. Okay, maybe she's a lot of fanfare she's getting. But it was the complete opposite. People were in the DMs harassing her, talking smack. And, you know, we, we, we've heard of LinkedIn where that's a professional site. My friend is on there. They're harassing my friend on that site as well. That's supposed to be a super professional site. So to go back, is race a factor in this? I believe so. It's it's two black women. They're like, who the hell is this? And we know the history of wrestling. I'm not going to deny how and sit here and be like, yo, wrestling is like perfect. No, we know the history of it. We know where it comes from. It's middle America. It's very carny. It's very circuses shit stuff. And we know the history behind it. We hear shoot, shoot interviews all the time about the racist stuff that went on. So I'm not surprised. And it hurts because the girl made a little mistake and everybody's acting like they're perfect. And now she lost her job off of it. Right. And, and I'm glad you said that. I, uh, I, everybody wants to sit around and, and just point fingers at everybody making mistakes. And then here are the same people making up shit about things that they think they know about. And then they're proven wrong and then they get to still keep their jobs or, yeah. you know, they have someone who is an outward racist on TV hosting WrestleMania. But in any event, I, you know, it is, it's the truth, right? Like, like, like you coming into this being a fan, you have to sort of know the history and the context of what you're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. You have to sort of understand what they did. And they're still like, it's the same folks. It seems like that are like, oh, well, why are they retconning everything on the, the Peacock network? And they cut out gold dust, dress it in back blackface. And like, this is insane. And it's like, guys, like, like 
it just, it's the gatekeeping, I think, is what pisses me off the most. And I watch this every single day on Twitter. And it's like, it just drives me insane at this poor woman. Yeah, I mean, she fucked up. Like, we ha- all of us have fucked up at work. I fucked up at work on Thursday. You know, like, yeah, she made a mistake. Does she deserve to lose her job for it? No, no. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I think it was a huge overreaction in a lot of senses right now. I understand too. It's business, right? Like I understand that the business part of it with WWE, it's a publicly traded company. They're trying to, you know, this whole thing, trying to keep a black eye from happening. I get it. But at the same time, I don't think it would have been nearly as, uh, uh, overblown had it not been for, you know, the sort of carnival barkers and the, the peripheral media that took hold of it. I just don't see this being as egregious of a uh, of a sin as everyone is making it out to be. It, it, it was way too much. People were mad, and and wrestling has gatekeeping out the ass because we want to protect, I guess the san- the sanctity of wrestling. But then again, we want it to be mainstream. Want everybody to, to like, it. and it's this it's this weird thing because I was called a gatekeeper because. I question Bow Wow coming into wrestling and the reason behind <laughs> that. So I'm not going to well, come here and say yeah, I'm right. about it. So I, because, but my whole thing was like, if you're serious about this, come in, let's do this. If you're trying to use this to, to get some more promo, whatever you got going on, nah, we don't need you here. But if you're serious about this, yo, jump on in. And you saw the gatekeeper when Bad Bunny came into wrestling. Because some people didn't know who he was. But I told you again, I do the viewing parties. I remember this dude came in, had a custom jean jacket with Bad Bunny on the back. So he, he's like, I'm not really a wrestling fan, but I just came here to see Bad Bunny wrestle. Wow. So it, it's wow. those types of things what they, what they bring in. Now, with this, with this girl, this woman, I mean... It was messed up, man, and I, and it really bothered me because it was not needed. You can have your point. You can have your point. You can have your opinion on the situation, but wanting to hurt her to get fired when she said, I'm going to be trying to understand this is wild to me. And and when I found out that she, that she was getting harassed in, in the through text, through DMs, and my, and my friend, they saw the, the DMs. They said they were absolutely disgusting. Like, how are you getting death threats for a predetermined sport? Right, right. It's fake wrestling, guys. It's fake. Everything is made up. And I don't like to use that word. Trust me, I'm not a fan of using the fake word. But like in this type of situation, guys, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all make-believe, guys. There's no, it's just, it, it, it drives me insane. And I think what makes me the most crazy about this stuff, besides the gatekeeping and the, and the, this whole thing about how Vince McMahon is the devil and like he's ruining wrestling and this, that, and the other, like, it seems as though it's always the same people who are pointing fingers at what what WWE is doing and what they're doing wrong. And every time AEW does something, they're all that, you know, it's, it's, Oh my God, I can't believe they did this. It's just, Mm -hmm. I I have, I I have such an issue with that. And it's not that I dislike AEW. I just, well, let me ask you this. Let's start on that question. Then while we're at it, while we're talking about this, we'll transition a little bit. What are your feelings on AEW and their recent, uh, their recent push? Uh, Tony Khan just said something insane again recently, uh, talking about how double or nothing was better than the past two WrestleManias. What, what do you, what are your feelings on AEW uh, now, sort of in the quote unquote mainstream stratosphere? So, I'll start with some good. 
AEW is needed for professional wrestling. Why? It gives friends I know who are in the independent scene more opportunities to maybe one day get a big contract, steady living for them and their family. So I'm all for that. It gives established guys a second chance at, in, in the wrestling business. So all for that. 100% for that. It gives us wrestling fans more wrestling to watch. Either we criticize it or we love it. It still gives us more wrestling to watch. And it gives us podcasters more shit to talk about. Now, I'm going to start off with like the medium right now. We're in the middle of the sandwich. Tony Khan. He's a millennial like us. He's trying to, he try, he's living out a dream. Can't deny that. But he needs to shut the fuck up. There's a, there's a time and place where you can talk. And I have no problem with you bigging up your company. But he constantly has to bring WWE into the conversation. Constantly bringing up WWE. And it's like, yo, shut up. And also, too, not just WWE, but also WCW. Why 100%. do you keep bringing up WCW? Everyone is aware of what happened to WCW and also ECW. We all lived through that too, just like you did. What bearing does WCW have, or even TNA? What what do either of these companies have to do and their successes or failures have to do with your company you right now at this funny? moment? You know what's funny? What I don't understand. ECW didn't go out of business because of ECW. It went out of business because they couldn't find anybody to hold their show. That's one. Number two, Loki, this is my belief, Thunder caused WCW to go out of business. They had a fun Thunder by themselves. Whatever Eric, profits they made, they had a fund it. Eric Bischoff has gone on record in saying that the beginning of the end, there were two really major two parts to, to, the, to the end of WCW. It was the creation of Thunder on Thursday nights, and it was Horrible. the AOL Time Warner merger. That just totally fucked everything up for him. And, All and the that ideas was totally out of their control. Right. So when so when Tony Khan mentions WCW, and I haven't heard him try to eat some, but if he does mention ECW, it's like you're talking about companies who went downhill majority because it was something that they couldn't control. They had no control over. Now I don't know if it makes it if it makes him feel better. It strokes his ego. I don't know what he what he's trying to do. But the one thing I know is that. You have your dad's money. You are in a great spot. When he said that his dad told him, this was the line of this. Was, I don't know why do I've been talking about this. He asked his dad for, for to start the company. His dad goes, all right, I think this is a bad idea. But when I die, I'm going to leave you and your sister with a ton of money. So why don't you blow it on something? Excuse me? You can't talk about Vince McMahon. He literally had to buy the company from his dad. So, so you can't compare it to that. You literally are getting a blank check consistently. But granted, you're helping out all these wrestlers get, get paid well. So it, it's when I look at AEW, I see potential. But they're not they're not living up to the potential. You have a ton of legends in, the, in your back stage and why is your on-screen wrestling not up to par why are right. your matches going 45 minutes and it's not even 
a storytelling 45 minutes. Why is that everything just seems so all over the place? Some episodes, don't get me wrong, past couple episodes have been like flowing better, but they're not listening to the people that, that they, they should be listening to. And you can't compare yourself to WCW because WCW was in a whole different era and was doing things a whole di- much differently. And they had they had good things going. So stop it. Stop it, Tony. Well, and, and to sort of like kind of tie on some of the things you talked about, we'll pull a little bit apart here with with WCW. I think I think WCW was not so much a sort of like flash in the bottle as much as it was. I mean, they were basically NWA, right? A lot of the territories, if I recall correctly, if I understand my history right, NWA eventually became mm-hmm. a portion of it became WCW, uh, you know, same way it sort of splintered off into ECW and some other factions, TNA eventually as well, too. But it, it, the idea behind it was that this was an established company for many many years i mean we're talking at least 10 years in some form 15 years maybe in some form before the nwo showed up before hulk hogan came on screen and you know and they they changed the wrestling world this stuff didn't happen by accident right like this isn't just shit that just came out of nowhere these are guys who had spent years working and perfecting their craft came up with this revolutionary idea that we're still seeing in the industry today all of these reality-based storylines are based upon the same story arc that got scott hall over with the crowd when he walked through the crowd on nitro it's literally the same thing hey yo uh Love Scott Hall, by the way. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, it's 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 the idea of like, yes, and I agree with you, they, the, the AEW having so much potential and so many great opportunities in front of them, but little follow through. You know, for an example, Sting, and I know we'll, get, we'll sort of tie this into our next part of this show, but with Sting, right, he, he said something again online where he was like, oh, I don't know how you could bungle Sting. Like, dude, you've had him doing the same thing for weeks. He comes out, cuts a promo, someone cuts him off, and then it's just—it's literally like it's its robotic and formulaic, and you're doing the same things over and over and over again. You can't sit here, and, and, and I think that maybe is what bothers me the most about AEW, not so much the wrestling and the organization itself. It's the cosplay media, the cosplay journalists who cannot be real about the criticisms and the critique of wrestling. Everybody has no problem shitting all over the fiend. Everybody has no problem shitting all over everything else that they fucking do in the Firefly Funhouse and the, the you know, uh, everything, all the other storylines, Kofi Mania 2, and oh my God, Bobby Lashley's the champion. He can't be champ. Nobody has a problem taking a dump mm-hmm. on all that. But as soon as you see the some of the botches and some of the shit that they're doing on AEW, which again, happens everywhere, let's be fair. But as soon as you have that, it's like, oh, I can't believe you'd say this to them. It's like, guys, guys, you're supposed to be middle. You're supposed to be assessing this and giving analysis and feedback on this in some kind of objective way. Right. Why are we all of a sudden now not allowed to touch the golden goose? And that's, I think, my problem. Well, what do you think about Sting? I mean, do you think that that criticism is fair when they when he says something like, you know, how could you bungle Sting? And here he's doing the same thing pretty much every week. Well, they haven't done anything with Sting, but Sting hasn't done anything in years. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's okay, okay. All right, Sir Wilkins. Let's let's calm down now. Sting is a national treasure. Okay. Sting is not a national. Okay. I think <sighs> I think we have this conversation. We're gonna do this now. We're gonna do this, aren't okay. we? Okay. So this is my thing on Sting. I think Sting is great, but I do not hold him to this high regard that everybody else holds him to. And this, and the thing about it. I used to like Crow Sting. I was like, okay, this is this is cool. 
you know, this is this is great. When I was a kid, I was like, I enjoyed it. But then I really thought one day, I was like, yo, this guy's not that great. <laughs> like, people but why like, though? Why why do you think he's not that great though? What is it about him that, so, that so, makes so, him so, not great? This is my thing. In my head, I have the god tier level of wrestlers, which is like Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. I don't like him at Hulk Hogan anymore, but you know why? But The Rock, Stone Cold, those mega, mega like crossover superstars. Then you have mega superstars and you have superstars. Mega superstars is Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. You, you know what? You, you get right. what I'm saying. You have and your then, levels. Yeah, you have the yeah. level. And then yeah. I believe Sting is on superstar level. Okay. I don't think he's a mega superstar. And the reason why I say that is because if you look throughout his career, he was never really that guy. There was always somebody that was ahead of him. Now he's won the title before. He had he had a fucking classic feud with Ric Flair back in the day. But that's the only thing I can personally think of. It's like, yo, that stood out. As long as his career been, there's never been like a feud besides that. For me personally, that was like, yo, that's a that was a, that was something that and, and get, granted, it takes two to tango. Right. Right. But with Sting, it's like, yo, I haven't really, I don't remember anything that's like, yo, something that's like stood out. He hasn't done anything phenomenal. The Crow gimmick, I ain't gonna lie, top tier. Top tier Crow gimmick. It was amazing. But he didn't do shit. Well, like, what is it, six months? He said the thing. It was ominous. It was like, okay, this is amazing. But it's like, uh. But we, but we, when we continue, look at his career at a overall, you're like, his longevity is epic. You can't even right. deny it. No, epic you can't. level of being in the ring for so long and able to still go. But besides that, his little moments where he was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I look at Undertaker, I compare him to Undertaker. Where throughout his career, yet he was never really that, that top, top guy, but he evolved his character multiple times. Multiple times throughout his career, he had some of the greatest matches of all time. Like, he had these matches that's like, that pulls you in, that made you like, yo, I love this character. But when I look at Sting, I was like, you guys, same thing. No real, no, his character never really evolved. He went from, you know, you know Surfer Sting to Crow Sting. Then he had Crow Sting, then he had um, Wolfpack Sting, but it's right. never really nothing big. It, it was never something, you know, you know what I mean? And he's a star, but he ain't on that. He ain't, he ain't, he ain't above anything else besides that. So now, that's just my take on it. Now, let me clarify here real fast, too. Let me clarify. I agree with your analysis. I think that there are a, only a certain level of folks in wrestling that ever made that top tier level, right? We're talking about next level. Flair, Hogan, Rock. Bruno San Martino, if you want to go old school. Austin, right. Bruno, so like we're talking about a handful of guys who have the crossover appeal, right? We're not talking about guys like Triple H and, or The Undertaker. These are like legitimate top guys, mm -hmm. you know? But not top guy. We're not. One could argue, maybe at some point, Becky Lynch might be in that conversation as well, as sort of this the like top tier, right? Yeah. In the current generation, and I think maybe you could put John Cena on that list too. But in I, any event, you know what? I can, we, we can put we can put John Cena. I forget John Cena, maybe because we're, we're all such attitude babies that we forget. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We forget about ruthless aggression and the, the PG area. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think for me, if you're talking about 
someone who who belongs in a class of you know the, the top top guys, you got to put Cena in that list. I mean, the guy yeah. you have no, you're to right. you're right. you have to put him in that list. However, I do agree with you in the fact that Sting just never crossed over. Right? They had that they built that huge push for him between him and Hogan. I don't remember if it was Starcade or if it was Halloween Havoc. They did the big push for him, and all of a sudden he loses. I was. To I Hogan. think it was Halloween Havoc. I'm almost hundred percent sure it was Halloween Havoc. I want to say it was '97 Halloween Havoc, and they're just like pushing this whole storyline, and then he he loses, and it's just like, well, why did that happen? You know. And Eric has gone into it. Eric and Conrad have talked about it in in depth on their show, and what did they about, say about it? If you remember? There were basically that you know Sting wasn't really in the place mentally and physically to go over at that time. Like he was into a, doing a lot of things, and a lot of you know things happened, and and some personal demons that that had come up, and. It just wasn't, it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to. And, and you know, again, shit happens, right? Timing is mm-hmm. everything. Uh, but I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily disagree with the criticism that Sting wasn't really utilized well in WWE. I didn't agree with the way that they sort of put him in with Triple I, I liked the idea of the storyline of Triple H. I just didn't like the idea of Triple H going over. And I think <laughs> most, which most people, it's the same thing with Booker T, right? You can have that conversation as well, which we could probably dive into that way deeper with Booker T. But I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that criticism, but I, I, I feel as though Sting does belong in conversation if you're talking about the greats of WCW, right? If you're talking about those different generations, I just... I'm a I'm a sting mark, man. I can't help it. I love the guy. I just there's something about him that's great, you know? And I just when I hear somebody's like overrated, I'm like, how fucking dare you? Don't you talk about Sting that and way? You know and I'm what? sorry. My boy, um, Brian H. Waters, he does something called the rest the wrestling realm. He was like, Yo, listen, I respect your opinion, but I'm a sting mark. Yeah. And I love Sting. So I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can't, yo, man, and I can't help what? it. I will say that about if anybody says that about Razor Ramon Scott, because I am a mark for this dude since I was how old, love the dude as Razor, as Scott Hall. I don't care how drunk he got. I don't care how much he fucked up. Still love the guy. I met the yeah. guy once. He gave me the coldest type of reception ever. Really? Still love the dude. Still love the dude. Because he's too cool. He's too it- cool. It's funny you say that. I I actually I met Scott Hall and Kevin Nash here in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think it was 2016. They were doing like a dual outside. They have the, the picture right here with my brothers, and they signed it. My brother, my older brother, has like no filter. Right, he's just one of those people that just walks up and just like anything you don't want to do, if you're embarrassed to do, he just goes and does. Right. So anyway, he walks right up to Scott Hall and starts talking to him. So my little brother and I would just start like walking over. We stood there and talked with Scott Hall for probably a good 15 minutes, man. And the security guards are coming over and trying to like move us away. He's like, oh, no, man, it's cool. These guys are all right. They're, you know, they're hanging out with me. They're not bothering me. And he just stood there and was like bullshitting with us for, I don't even know how long it was. It was I'm awkward. Pro- so that probably was the reason why. I'm awkward. I mean, yeah. people that love. So I, that's why I didn't get mad. Because I'm awkward as fuck. Right, I was like, right. I'm a cool kid and like, whatever. But I love him. I think he, yes, his demons was probably cost him to never, never get that. That top tier title, Next level. The yeah. title, but I understand when people get mad about it, but I will continue to say it. And that's the reason. And I will always say, like, he's overrated. And so is Wolverine from the X-Men. Those are two people that I think are absolutely overrated. Everybody loves. And I will continue to say that until the day hey. I die. Hey, man. Hey, you have your opinion. I have mine. I think Sting's <laughs> fucking fantastic. Let's talk about Jobber Tears, though. I want to talk about that podcast, man. It's, uh, I yeah. really enjoy what y'all do on the show. Let's uh, let's talk about it a little bit. When uh, What's uh, what's coming down the pipeline for you guys? So we have a couple more interviews coming. Um, just to continue growing. We're putting on our own show in July, July 31st. We have a bunch of um, awesome independent talent 
that's going to be on the show. We also have uh, some some sign talent. We have AEW's uh, Swole that's going to be as, as main eventing with Tasha Steele from Impact. We have Shane Taylor pr- um, Promotions from ROH that's going to be on there. And, and just we're just trying to, like, build and expand and brand at this point. We've we, um, been doing um, pay-per-view viewing parties in New York City for the past 10 years now, going on 10 years. So that's another, that's been part of us. The podcast itself has been going on for going on four years. It started off as I was doing another podcast. Me and the, me and the person I had, had like creative differences. My best friend and I, Janelle, went did our own thing, and my brother does it with me. And then boom, we end up with this podcast, and we just stayed consistent with it over the past like three years. Like I think we're almost at two hundred episodes. So it's been just something that we've just been constantly, constantly, um, you know, been going at. I saw that you're a hip hop head. I was just going to mention this. I was just going to mention this. I listened to the new theme song. I got very strong early 2000s Cameron Dipset vibes from that beat. Like very much like Kanye. Like it was that sound. I was like, I know that sound. I've heard that before. I know what that is. So um, shout out to Josiah Josiah Williams and um, Montezzi. He had done the first, the first, our first original theme song. And then we like, we wanted a remix. So then I hit him up. I was like, yo, listen, this is the era that we grew up, like grew up on hip hop. Cameron, Dine, um, you know, yep. Rockefeller, G-Unit era. And I was like, I want that trumpets, horn type of feel. Like, <laughs> yep. The whole deal, man. The whole yeah, fucking deal. Yep. That. And I was like, and then he, he sent me the beat. He's like, what do you think about this one? I was like, this is fucking perfect. Thank you very much. And yeah, it, it's. I I right now I'm listening to like a lot of Benny the Butcher, Griselda. Okay, all right, yeah. I've listened to a lot of them lately. It's been like on a consistent thing. Eight, Jack, is it Jack Harlow? Jack Harlow, yeah. Yes, I just discovered him. I know he's been out for a while, but I heard, I was at a sneaker store and I was buying some sneakers and I heard and I heard one of his songs. Like, yo, who is this? Yeah, right. So. Somebody told me it was him. I've been listening to him nonstop. I was like, yo, Man. this dude is amazing. He was who <laughs> Mike Posner was supposed to be. <laughs> he was who, who, who was supposed to be? Mike Posner. I don't know oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember Mike Posner. Yeah, That's yeah. who Mike yeah. Posner was supposed to be, but now Mike is a hippie that's, that walks from New York, from the East Coast to, to California. Why would he do People with too much money is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I um I grew up in that same era, man. I'm a, I remember my very first uh, tape was uh, Jesus. Let me think about this. Bone Thugs and Harmony. It was was it E nineteen ninety nine Eternal? Was that the one that they did for Easy E? Was that the yeah. one? My cousin Ryan used to have a tape deck. It's a big boombox in my grandmother's basement, and we would play it. Obviously, you know me being like I don't know how old I was. I was a kid. I had no business listening to you know that you know everything that was on that record. You know, yeah. and then I used to have this Walkman. My I somehow got my hands on the double disc of Tupac, All Eyes on Me, and I dubbed it onto this t- like a set of cassette tapes that I would keep in my book bag. You know, and I'm listening to Got My Mind Made Up. Come on, you know I'm like in sixth grade walking around bumping this track. You know, yeah, I. Uh, but as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds just like a Cameron record. Like, I knew yeah. right away, man. Right yeah, away. Yeah, it was just like, I was like, yo, this is amazing. Because I listened, I wanted to tell you, I listened to the beat like six times after you sent, sent it to me. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I started working out with it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, this is fucking great. Yeah, dude. There's nothing yeah, like, there literally is nothing. But, um, yeah, I've been just, I love music in general. Yeah. Like, the last episode we had a guest on, I just started, like, playing different tracks, like, get them, get them hyped and everything. Like, I, I just love 
music. Music was like had a bad day, pop, yeah. pop, whatever I'm listening to. Eminem for a while is one of my favorite rappers of all time. Yeah, you and, know. I think um, I think that conversation needs to be had. Like, I feel like a lot of people just like sort of dismiss Eminem on face value just because of the fact that he's sort of an outsider in the world. But if you've ever listened to like his first record, even Infinite, right? You want to talk about lyrical chops. Go back and listen to some of that shit that's on Slim Shady LP. As the World Turns, I think is one of my favorite like lyrical hip hop records, right? I mean, it's just like, no, it, what is that line? Like... I, I roll with a bunch of hippies and wacky tobacco planters who uh, swallow lit roaches and light up like jack-o'-lanterns. Like, if you just pull that sentence apart for a second, you're like, holy shit. I mean, a whole record is just insane. And No, he's ama- amazing. And I think he, right now, this is what I hate about him right now. He's trying too hard to prove that he can rap. Yes. And it's like, yes, bro, we, we, you, you are literally one of the greatest rappers of all time. Like, all time. Like, you're... Like you, you can be argued to be put on a Mount Rushmore of like rappers, and you're trying so hard. And and I remember there was a time you knew how to make a good song. Like I don't need you to freestyle every, everything. One of my favorite songs for him, and this is some psycho shit, is Kim. Right. Because the way him, I think Dre produced that that track. What they did on that track was like you felt like you were there. With him throughout the whole entire situation. You're like, oh my God, what the fuck are you doing? But it worked. Um, but he's up there, Jay, Jay-Z. You know, I'm a, I'm a Jay-Z head. I'm from New York, so. Yeah, yeah, got to. Now, now, let me ask you a question. This is an important question to ask now. You mentioned Jay-Z. Who won the beef? Oh, Nas killed him. Yeah, yeah, murdered him. Murder, absolutely Nas murdered him. him. And you know what? Duke tells me. Duke tells me different. Duke tells me that Jay Z won that. That he says Hove won that battle. No, sir. Hove, no, sir. Hove won the war. Right. The battle was won by Nas. Yes. But Hove won the war. It's like cannabis and LL. Cannabis won that battle. You can't tell me for a second that LL wasn't sitting there listening to second round knockout like. Oh fuck! What am I gonna do now? You know, like like exactly. that record was insane. But LL won the war. Mm-hmm. I can't argue that. But mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Nah, nah. It, it's it's and that's the beauty about like um like for instance like you can argue about Pusha T versus Drake. Who really won that one? Oof. I uh I actually I went back and listened to the story of Adidon the other day uh, just because I was like I, I like I, I I guess like my memories came up on Facebook and I had all these memes and shit about Pusha T with that song. And I was like, let me go back and listen to it and see if it was that bad. And I'm just standing there like like this is real. Right. Like I cannot believe like he outed him as a father on that record. Like how do you what do you say? What do you say after that? How do you even come back from that? I don't even know if it's possible. I don't know how you do that. And, and what's crazy, it was like, this was all Kanye's fault. Yes. Yes, it was. Because of it what was, happened with Birdman, like, how many years ago, right? It was some kind of beef that him and Birdman had. Yeah. And and, and, it, and it's, it just it was just crazy how that went down. It's just, it's just crazy, man. Yeah, I would say one of my, another one of my favorite rappers, too, is, uh, is, is Big Pun. I think um, as far as lyrical flexing, my favorite story in hip hop, one of my favorite stories in hip hop is the John Blaze recording. So it's Nas, mm-hmm. Pun, uh, Fat Joe, Raekwon, and Jadakiss on the record, right? Okay. Nas goes into the studio, cuts his verse, does the whole thing. 
lays mm-hmm. his vocals down. Pun goes in after and lays his verse down. And then Nas listens to Pun's verse and is like, fuck this. I got to I got to rewrite my verse because my verse doesn't even there's So there's an there's like an original Nas verse on the John Blaze mm-hmm. record that he cuts off because he's like, I, I just can't I can't fuck with this. Like, how do you even you listen to Black Thought, who is top three lyricists of all time, Tariq, the talented Mr. Trotter on a record with pun and still can't keep up with him like that's just like that to me is is someone who is like pun genius level. Just genius Pardon. level. How do you how do you have the ability to have so much lyrical like to to say some of the things that he did and just so like it just rolled off his tongue? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? That's a that's a, an entirely different skill set than even just being a, a good lyricist. Yeah, it, it, it what what pun did for that little bit of time is absolutely like amazing, and he. You know what's funny? It's it's crazy because Biggie wasn't around that long, low key. And Pun, if had done one more, it was two albums he had out, right? Was it two albums? If he kind of favored what Biggie did, where it was like he had such a a major impact in such a small amount of time, right. and his lyrical ability, like he was on Band for TV, right? Band for TV, yeah. He bodied it, yeah. Body crushed that record, man. Crushed it. Like it, it, it was. It was one of those things where you're just like, "Yo, this is different." Yeah, shit. man. Yeah. <laughs> I remember what was the name of that record he did with? Uh, it was Be Real, Cool G Rap, and Fat Joe. It was like the first time anybody had heard of. Him. I don't think I can't remember the name. It might be called Firewater, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And he comes on, and he's just like, you know, I walk on water, spit fire, and shit Hagendas, and I'm like, okay. I'm tuned in now. I want to hear what the rest of this guy says. You're like, what the fuck am I listening to? Like, and it's sort of a sort of similar situation where these producers, these established guys just go and find Biggie and pun rapping, you know, and just like, I, I, I know that they did that, that special cut on Biggie's record with, with him and pun on it with the, the penalty is death verse. But I, uh, well, cause they were apparently working on something. They were supposed to be linking up together in the studio when, when Biggie was, was killed. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, they were so pun was supposed to be they were working together like I guess trying to like get schedules and stuff together to get something done, which is why on um the record he did with Black Thought, that's why the Biggie cuts are on there. It was sort of like a nod to him in that situation, but there uh that was I just can't even imagine the level of lyricism that would have been on that record. I just I I love that stuff. I love the the 90s boom bap sound. I love anything that comes out of New York, anything that comes out of Philadelphia. All of that, and even you know the West Coast stuff. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big Tupac, Tupac fan. I can't, you know, I can't deny. But yeah, hip hop was like always kind of the music that I I enjoyed more than anything else. You know, and I, and I, I'm a big, I'm a big hip hop head. It's funny because um, all my friends are like R and B guys, and they're like they love R and B, blah blah blah. And I'm just like, yo, give me some grit, some drug dealing. I'm gonna shoot your mom's face up type of thing. Uh, I, I I am all for if, if the if the lyrics are great. And and you guys are telling me a story. I am all for it. There's this um, a young kid that works with me. He's like 19 years old. He's like he's like one of the he just started working and he listens to something called drill, like yeah, like Dizzy Rascal from the UK, right? That's yeah, that drill, drill rap, yeah. So, so there's like um, Brooklyn drill music now, and he was telling me about it, and and I'm listening to. So he's like, "Are you like it?" I was like, 
They're talking about killing each other. I'm okay. I'm, I'm all for this. Like, <laughs> I'm all for this. I am about this. I'm, I'm walking. It's like I can I can hear a little bit of the of some good lyrical rap on, on this, so I'm okay. And the beats are fucking amazing. And he's like, yeah, you yeah, dude. Something, some more. I was like, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm all about new music, and I've never. I'm you know, even I'm a little bit older. Like, if you're an artist and you're brand new, you and, and it's, like my sister tells me a lot about different artists. And she listen. My sister is 21, 22. So she's a lot older than, a lot younger than me. And she'll tell me about certain guys. Like, yo, check this person out. Check this person out. And I'm like, yo, this guy is this guy. Is, like, I love Lil Baby. He is a he is a southern rapper. So he has that southern drawl, and it's kind of for some people, it's a little hard to understand. But if you can get if you can understand what he's saying, he literally is that guy. And he's been like, from what I'm hearing, he's been crowned the goat of this new generation. And it's funny you mentioned as far as like the new generation as well. And it kind of ties back into professional wrestling a little bit. A lot of the gatekeeping that happens inside of hip hop. Like, I don't necessarily dislike a lot of the newer stuff. You know, it's not so much like I feel like there's a heavy emphasis too much on like the hook and the beat. And there's not yeah. so much storytelling. But mm -hmm. I think Joe Budden said it a couple years ago. He's like, I don't want to listen to my shit in the club. There's room for everybody at the table. You know, there's room for yachties. There's room for babies. There's room for pop smoke. But there's yeah. also room for a really incredible Talib Kweli, Styles P, you know, oh, collaboration like, record, oh, right? Like or Joey a, Badass, Joey right, Badass. Joey Badass or Ab Soul or any of the top dog yeah. guys, Mac Miller. I mean, there's room for everybody at this table to eat. So why are we all, like, basically infighting? We're all, like, eating each other alive about who belongs where or what goes where. And it's, you can have that same conversation in professional wrestling, right? Like, why are we keeping so many people out who want to be a part of this and can contribute something to this? Well, wrestling is just like the music industry. I have me, my brother, my brother and I always talk about it, how it's so many similarities. Like being a wrestler is like being a rapper. You get to, you get to WWE. That means you signed your major deal. You sign with Rockefeller, right, right, yeah, death row. You, you yeah. don't know how long you'll be there for because you got to sell CDs, a.k.a. get over. I mean, sell, you know, you got to get your streams up there, so you got to get over. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's the same thing. If you're an independent artist, yeah, you'll make money. You might not make as much money, but you have your freedom, just like being an indie wrestler. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Like, impact is like Koch. Um, good WWE reference. Like that is a fantastic. Person. That is a fantastic reference. They are Koch. They are. The, they, <laughs> oh my god, dude! Anybody, if you know, you know. That's let's yeah, leave it like, at that. You, yeah, you know, you know, like you know, and and and, and it's okay. Like I, I've always, my only thing when it comes to wrestling is respected. You come in and respect because I, I I've been training and. So to be a wrestler and everything. And I'm in training right now. My, um, my coach is amazing, Red. And the first thing that he's taught us is that you have to respect the business. You have to respect what it does, what it what it does. And, and I'm not saying that nobody can become it, but you have to respect it. You have to earn its respect. That means coming in, taking the bumps, learning how the business works. We're not saying be somebody's bag boy or just, you know, be somebody's little, like Jimmy Uso say, I ain't nobody's bitch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Jay, but... It's just respect, just respect, just be humble. You can still be confident, but you can be humble because this business will end up, will probably one day feed your family. 
So that's that's not my thing. But when people like, you can't come in here because you're purple. What? Who said I can't come? Why? Right. Why? Right. Oh, because you're, you're you're a big girl. Well, all right, you're a big girl. Will it be a little bit harder for you? Yeah, but this may be the next superstar. You never know. But just work your ass off. Do it. Get get over. Is it easier to look a certain type of way? Yes. But if you come in, bust your ass. Because Kevin Owens is not your stereotypical looking wrestler. No, he is not. By any means. Hulk Hogan, he is not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I hang out. He drink, He's the guy that drinks craft beer at the bar. Yeah. Until two o'clock. Yeah. At craft beer at the bar, just come from the, like, if, if steel mills were still a thing, he'll be a steel mill worker. <laughs> and it's totally fine. But the man can go in the ring. Phenomenal on the mic. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you just got to, it's, we got to give people a chance, but also people have to respect the business as well. That, that, that's my thing. Again, yeah, you're right. Like you, you have to be able to, because again, you can tie it back to music, right? Jay Z was not who he is now. He wasn't that person in the '80s, right? He couldn't rhyme in his head and spit it out onto a track back then. He had to learn. He had to perfect the craft, and he had to respect what he did enough in order to get himself to the point that he is now. Mm-hmm. It's just like wrestling. It's just, it's exactly the same thing. And I think there are a lot of characters inside of wrestling and also inside of music and hip hop in general that wouldn't be your typical guy, right? I mean, Eminem is not somebody you would expect to be as good as he is. He's the Kevin Owens of of hip hop, right? He's yeah. just, he goes and he's, he's, he's incredible, right? So I, I agree with that. I agree with that analysis and I'm glad we were able to talk music and tie it back in because I could sit here, I could do a whole nother podcast on just hip hop alone. Oh, Beefs and beef totally specifically. I would do, I, if I could, man, I would totally, totally do it. So we could talk about that offline and we could set something up together. But I got a few before I let you go. I know I've taken up yeah. a lot of your time here today. Uh, I want to throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you if you mm-hmm. can indulge me for a couple minutes. So, Definitely all right. Me your favorite all-time wrestling match? Favorite all-time wrestling match, Razor Ramon versus uh, Shawn Michaels' ladder match for the IC title. Yep, that is a the fantastic, fantastic match. Your favorite WrestleMania? Favorite WrestleMania? It's tied for WrestleMania 18 and 17. Yeah. Yeah, that's my answer always is 18. And it's just because of The Rock and Hogan. Because they finally were incorporating WCW guys in and the storylines. I mean, it's... How could you ever get any better than that? Yeah. Worst match of all time? For me? Whew. Damn. Really? That's, that's, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's what I do, Sir Wilkins. This is what I do. Uh, worst match of all time. Who would that go to? There's a lot of them, man. There is a lot of them. <laughs> you know what? When Goldberg lost the title. Yeah. That's a good that's a good choice for a lot of reasons. Not because it's technically bad. It's not it wasn't technically bad, but I remember when he, the way he looked, because, you know, it was the, um, Scott Hall yeah. came in with, 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 the, with the, 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 the cattle chaser. prod, the cattle prod. Yeah. 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 He came in and tased him and then Kevin Ash pins him. And I remember being in my living room. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what, what, what did I just watch? Mind you at the time, I really didn't know that wrestling was predetermined. 
Right. Or like, I, I think I, I knew, but then I wasn't a hundred. Like, it, it, I was indulged. Okay. I was blind. It was ignorance. And that was the first time an ending pissed me off as a kid. Because anytime somebody loses, your favorite loses, you get mad, you, you accept it, you go home. But that ending really, really pissed me off. So I'm giving the, it to that. Your favorite wrestling angle. So it wasn't the best, but I liked it because it was so episodic. When Stone Cold got hit by the car and Linda McMahon and Mick Foley were investigating every week to find out who hit him, who hit who, who hit him. Then we find out it's Rakishi. But the reason why it was so good because they went all the way back to when Stone Cold had to leave, made up this fact that he got hit by the car. Then they had put in like real life stuff in it where I remember they were, I think Mick Foley was asking Linda McMahon like, yo, who was the next superstar after The Rock? It was like after, after Stone Cold. And Linda said it was The Rock. And everybody's like, yo, did The Rock do it so he, so he could become the top guy? Like, I'm thinking that the entire time. And it was so episodic. Shout out to um, Chris Kresge. Yeah. He was the one that came up with that whole episodic type of thing and that long-term storyline. Yeah. So I, I think for me personally, because Rocky's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, and it, and it led up to one of my favorite matches of all time, the Hell in a Cell with like a hundred people wrestling. So <laughs> that was when Rikishi and, fell. They threw him off the top of the cage, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. And then yep. the Rock did a promo where he made fun of every one of the yep. people on the in that in that match. And you know what? Shout out to Rikishi, man. He doesn't get a lot of he doesn't get a lot of due credit where he deserves, man. That dude fucking went, man. He was oh, something else. Rikishi, Rikishi has a. <laughs> he has a career, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. He had something. He was. I loved. I fucking love Rikishi. Anything he did, he I was great. I have no problem with Rikishi. Now, worst, worst gimmick. Worst gimmick. Um, I forget his name because he's that fucking bad. He was the the seven foot five Indian ball player with the ape sh- ape um suit on and he fought the undertaker at one of the was it you're talking about giant gonzalez right yes yeah il gigante yeah absolutely disgusting <laughs> biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling Whew, there's a lot yep just your top um i can give you three right now all right um, yeah booker, go for it booker t not winning against triple h yep uh DDP wasn't you should have been used better when he when he got to WCW. I mean WWE. By apologies, and selling this is gonna sound stupid, but selling the glow in the dark women's belt that Naomi had at the shop. Three <laughs> biggest opportunities. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna ask you a very controversial one that's been in the news recently: Randy Orton or Kenny Omega. <sighs> I said Kenny on the, I said Kenny. And this really? Is strictly, yes. I, um, Randy Orton is better on the mic, but Kenny in ring ability for me personally is better because he's more creative. Randy, I will understand what, if anybody says Randy, I will understand hundred percent. But for me personally, I respect the creativity that Kenny does. I don't like Kenny. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> But 
I love a guy that pushes the envelope. Fair enough. Fair Some enough. shit is too, uh, too annoying, but I like a guy that pushes the envelope. All right. So WCW pre-Russo at the height of the NWO or ECW? WCW. And WCW, I know why people like WC, ECW, but WCW for me, bro, was, I will never forget the day. I always mention this. I'm flipping the channel and I see Scott Hall on WCW TV. First thing out of my mouth is, Razor Ramon is on this, is on this show? What is this? And I was watching WCW from that. So, I, yeah, I had the same reaction, man. I'll tell you, I watched it live and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is happening? Yeah, and it was just an accident. We were watching Raw and I flipped for one quick second and I saw Ray's, I saw Scott Hall wrestling and I was like, what the fuck? What is this? And I started like, you know, going online, trying to figure out what happened. And I found out and he went over and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> WWE or AE, an AEW crossover, does it happen? Never. Never in a million years? No. I think there's a better I, chance I of a... Be wrong. I, I think there's a better chance of an impact WWE uh, crossover happening than there is AEW. I feel like there's a heavy... Like, for me, with this, with the crossover, with the belts and stuff, I feel like there's a there's an ECW element to this in some regards. You know, Vince yeah. using impact to sort of keep, him, keep AEW away. Uh, NWO or DX? DX. Interesting choice. That's the first time anybody's chosen that in this uh, in this line of questions. It, it, it's you, DX was small. Got to the point. You had a chick as a bodyguard. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, before he became the game. Yep. And even when they expand to X Pac and, and the Road Road Dog. And uh, Mr. Ass still good shit. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was, I think, again, for me personally, too, that was the death of of the NWO was, and, you know, Eric's kind of talked about it at nauseum, but the idea that they just got too big. The idea was that they were supposed to be two separate shows, and they just, they had too many people in the roster. Last question, tying it back a little bit. Sting and The Undertaker finally face off. Who goes over? Undertaker. 100%. There's no doubt about it. 100%. Sir Wilkins from the Jobber Tears podcast. Where can everybody find your stuff, man? Um, You can find my personal stuff at S-I-R underscore W-I-L-K-I-N-S, Sir Wilkins. And that's on all forms of social media. You can also find me on my and my my two other amazing co-hosts, the Jobber Tears podcast at J-O-B-B-E-R podcast all across social media. Thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with me about uh, wrestling and music. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Hey, no problem, man. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Proprietor.